This is day 225 of our daily Bible reading. We will complete the book of 2 Thessalonians today, chapters 1 through 3, and then we will go into 1 Timothy chapters 1 and 2. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for always being here for us, waiting for us every morning, waking us up in the morning with new breath and new mercies. Lord, help us to cling to you in all ways, to sacrifice and forsake all the things of this world that we hold dear, and yet it's all in vain. Everything in this world is vain, as Solomon has said. But yet you are more glorious than we can possibly imagine, and you're usually not the first one we seek in the morning. It is so bizarre how we do that. Help us to understand that you are the only one who is sufficient for our joy, for our peace, and that you are our motivation every day to do what we do. Please bless the reading of this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For, after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing our retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. To this end, also, we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling, and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure, or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come 
unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and to bring him to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence, so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship we kept working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we did not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, 
so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying, or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant, 
but the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. From this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Congratulations on finishing 2 Thessalonians. It was a pretty short reading today, but there was a lot of good stuff in here. So like we talked about yesterday, Paul had to send this letter because there was some confusion about what Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians. And 
he starts off in chapter one with mentioning the good qualities they continue to have. And he mentions that these good fruits, right, because Jesus said we are known by our fruits, these good fruits are a plain indication of God's work in them. But not only that, but it also says that God will repay those that afflict you. And so that's very interesting how that's going to happen. Now, it's not very clear if this is talking about in the physical realm or if he's talking about justice in eternity, but it could be either one, I suppose. God can do it however he chooses. But ultimately, the ultimate justice and retribution is going to come upon these people because, like it says in verse 8, they did not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They rejected it. They don't live by it. Therefore, God will not offer them life. Then he moves on to chapter 2 pretty quickly here. And this was exactly what we were talking about yesterday as well. I guess I kind of got ahead of myself. Because he begins bringing up why these people think that the day of the Lord has already come. But he corrects them, and he shows them that certain things must happen first. And we talked about this last time. There must be a great apostasy. There must be a man of lawlessness that appears, also known as the Antichrist. And that he will take his seat in the temple of God, which needs to be rebuilt. So these three things need to happen first before the end comes. The temple currently is not built. There is no Antichrist currently on the scene. And there has been no great apostasy. You can see that people are leaving the church, but we're talking about something unprecedented. We're talking about people leaving the church in droves. We haven't seen that yet. So none of this has happened yet, therefore the end is not near. And what I mean <clears throat> and what I mean near, I mean within the next five years or so. So I could be wrong, it could be expedited, but it's not in the near future that it's going to happen by the looks of it. That much we know. Other than that, we don't know when the day of the Lord is coming. But what he mentions here is very interesting in verse 6, is that the Antichrist has not come back because there is something restraining him. Or rather, more appropriately, someone restraining him. Because when it talks about this word restrain, it is using it in the form of a person. Restrainer. It is a restrainer in the original Greek. In verse 6, it is a neutral or neuter gender. But in verse 7, this restrainer is a masculine word for restrainer. And most scholars have reached a consensus that this is referring to the Holy Spirit. Certainly, he is the only one powerful enough to restrain Satan. And so that is the only reason why the Antichrist has not come back yet. Because Satan wants to get things done, but 
someone is restraining him, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is holding back the Antichrist until the proper time. So that's very interesting. And then there will be a time that he will let go when he is taken out of the way, like it says in verse 7. And then the Antichrist will come into the scene and he will do what he does. Because it says that he is going to oppose and exalt himself above every other god and form of worship. And then he is going to take his seat in the temple displaying himself as being God. So he is going to declare himself to be God. That's why he's called the Antichrist. He is the evil Christ, so to speak, because he is going to pretend to be Christ himself, most likely. He is currently being restrained, and there will be a time where it will be removed. But until that time comes, we just need to be looking for it. This person who is going to be the Antichrist is going to be given the power of Satan, according to this. He is going to come in accord with the activity of Satan, with his purpose and motivation, with all power and signs and false wonders. He's going to have a lot of supernatural power. He's going to be able to perform signs, meaning he's going to be able to do some miraculous-looking things in order to appear to be godly, or rather, godlike. You'll see that in the book of Revelation, too, where it'll show, like, one of the beasts has a severe wound, he's able to heal it, and everybody follows the beast after that. So something like that is going to happen. And it'll be false wonders. And this is very interesting how the Bible puts it as false wonders, because it's all for show. Will it be supernatural? Yes, but it doesn't even come close to matching what God can do. Think about during the Exodus, when Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, demanding that the people be let go, and they were challenged by the magicians of Pharaoh. So what did Aaron do first? He threw his staff on the ground, and it became a snake. What did the magician do? He threw his staff down, and it turned into a snake as well. But what happened to the snakes? They ended up fighting, and Aaron's snake won. This is not only symbolic of God being far superior to Satan, but also to show that evil can do certain things that kind of look like God if you're not paying attention. They got to about three or four plagues in, to where they said, we can't do this. This is the finger of God. They were able to do some of it, but not all of it. That is the distinguishing factor between the evil powers and the powers of God, because God is all-powerful. Nothing is limited to him. He can do anything, and he can go above and beyond what Satan can do. But people are going to be so deceived that everybody's going to believe it anyway, except for those that know better, like you and me, hopefully. We will know because we have the Holy Spirit within us, and he will make us aware of the situation. And then it says that God is going to give them over into a deluding influence. Apparently, this is going to be something that comes from God, 
And it is both a punishment of some kind as well as a result of the rejection of the truth. And the truth is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if they don't believe the truth, then God is going to give them over to believe what is false. And a lot of the world is already doing that. They believe in things that are utter lies. And it's going to get worse. You think this is bad now. It's going to get much worse beyond anything we have ever seen in our lifetimes. All of this is going to be through the Antichrist. But thanks be to God, like he says here in verse 13, we should always be giving thanks to God for you, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification, by the Spirit and faith in the truth. So he chose us from the beginning, from before he created anything, he was going to save us. And how did he save us? Through sanctification, through the process of being made holy. How is he making us holy? By the Holy Spirit. And was the Holy Spirit showing us? The truth. And he is also giving us faith in this truth. See the progression? It's all God. It has nothing to do with us. It's always been that way, and it will always continue to be. And then in chapter 3, Paul is asking for prayer that the gospel will penetrate enemy lines. And then he goes into some commands, because he is hearing that some people are being lazy. They are being busybodies, and they are causing trouble because they believe that the day of the Lord has come, so therefore they don't need to work. Instead, they just sit around and waste time and distract people. He set the example for them of how they were to conduct themselves, and so he gives some a few examples of how he did that, and one important thing that he did was he worked. He not only shared the gospel and fulfilled his ministry, but he also provided for himself. And he never just took handouts. Could he have? Yes, because he's an apostle. But he chose not to so that he could be a role model. And so that's why he gives the command. And this is a biblical command. This is one of those ones that people say, but don't always attribute it to the Bible. Whereas there's some things that are not biblical that people also attribute to the Bible, like, this too shall pass. That is not a biblical statement. But this is a biblical statement. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Everyone is meant to provide for themselves at the very least. And it will say elsewhere that if you are a man that has a family, and you are not providing for your family, God says that you are worse than an unbeliever. That is crazy. But that's how serious we are to take this. Is it good to have a personal ministry like this podcast? Yeah. But if this was the only thing I did, and then I sat around all day long waiting to do my next episode, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to provide for my family? I can't without that. So I need to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Money is just a means to an end of surviving here. We still need it, even if we're godly. So there is that trap some people fall into, where 
they think that they don't have to work, but they need to. Find gainful employment, especially if you're a man. Now, I'm not being sexist here because I know that women can be just fine in the workforce as well, but many times the woman chooses to stay home for the family. So men, it's up to you to make sure you provide for your family, whatever is necessary to make sure that happens. And then verse 13 is something very sobering for us as well. Do not grow weary of doing good. We should never get bored with or get tired of doing good things for people. I always give to the poor. I always help that guy on the street corner. I'm just tired of doing it. Why? Why are you tired of doing it? It's wonderful what you're doing. Keep doing it. You're displaying God to people. That is what you're here on earth to do. So, no, don't stop. Keep going. And that ends the book of 2 Thessalonians. Then we pick up in 1 Timothy. Now, 1 Timothy, chronologically, comes before the prison epistles, which are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. And the Thessalonians we read are actually one of the earliest writings of Paul, in fact. Most scholars attribute Galatians to be his first epistle that he wrote, and then it would be the Thessalonians. But 1 Timothy comes a little bit later in the timeline, but not so much as the prison ministry. So this is before then. Now, 2 Timothy is going to be the very last thing he writes. So obviously that's going to be a different time. You're talking about maybe five years later. But 1 Timothy is right before he is thrown into prison. So he is sending this letter to Timothy, who appears to be in Ephesus, and he is to stay there for a while. You can tell by the way he writes that Paul loves Timothy, not only as a fellow follower of Christ, but also they have a unique bond of being kind of like a father-son figure with each other a master and an apprentice. And he trusts Timothy enough to guard the souls of the people. And we also read later that Timothy becomes a pastor of a church. So he's got a pastoral heart, and we see Paul trying to cultivate that. So there's a few things that he warns Timothy to watch out for. So when he's in Ephesus, he says not to allow certain men to teach strange doctrines. They cannot deviate from the Word of God. Especially in the part of the world that I live in, that is heavily Catholic, as well as Hispanic, there is a culture of superstition that intermixes with Christianity, or rather Catholicism, which is not really Christianity. And those two don't mix. And so we have to make sure that we are not putting things that are outside the Bible, into the Bible, and creating one religion with it, because that's not accurate. So, living in superstition, and yet living in the Word of God, those two things do not coexist. So just be careful with that. Then he also mentions not to pay attention to myths. You know, you think of apparitions of Mary appearing, for example. 
and not endless genealogies. Well, what's wrong with having endless genealogies? Well, there's a lot of legends and myths that are focused around having certain ancestry to where some people can trace themselves back to like the origin of a particular religion or things like that. And that doesn't mean anything. The only line that really matters is the line of David, and that's already been fulfilled at this point. But other than that, your family line, while it's neat, is not going to attribute to your salvation. And Paul plainly says what their goal is. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what he wants for every believer in this church. And that goes to our church as well. Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. It's hard to find a person with all three of those. That is consistent, at least. Most of the people in your church don't possess all three of these qualities together. That's really sad. But that's the reality of things. That's why it's so important that we, as leaders and as true believers in Christ, stay strong, and we exhort and instruct the people around us to correct their ways and to repent. That's what we're called to do. That's why I have this podcast. We're here to equip the saints. Do we need to save the lost? Yes, but it's also equally important to equip the saints, because the more people you equip, the more soldiers you have to go into the battlefield and win souls for Christ. So sometimes it starts with home base. How can you save anyone if you are living like a hypocrite, if you're living like a sinner, and you are not invested in the Word of God? How are you going to save anyone? You're not. And that's the whole point of why I feel passionate about what I do, is we don't take our faith as seriously as we should many times. And so how can we, as believers in Christ, win souls for Christ if we are not obeying Christ. You know what I'm saying? So that's why we need to be here reading the Word of God, growing in knowledge and wisdom. What does God want from me? Here it is. That's why we do what we do here. As Paul has described in other places, the law is good, yes, because it came from God, but we are no longer a part of the law. We have been redeemed from the law because we have died to it. The law is not for us. It is for those that are unruly. It is for those that are lawless and rebellious, the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane, the ones who kill people, the immoral people, homosexuals. The Bible doesn't talk about homosexuality. Oh yeah, it does. There's one example kidnappers, liars, perjurers, anything contrary to sound teaching. So if you have a pastor in a particular church, and there's a lot of this going on right now, where they say, yeah, it's okay to be accepting of the LGBT movement and allowing gay people into the leadership of a church, it's saying that homosexuality and all perversions like it are not sound teaching. They are contrary to it. Anything contrary to sound teaching is unsound teaching. Therefore, it is not of God. It is pagan. It is demonic. 
So, no, it is not acceptable. Well, you know, this was written 2,000 years ago. That's archaic. We have evolved as a species since then. So that doesn't apply anymore. Oh, yeah, it does. Oh, it definitely does. You give me one example in the world today where homosexuality has improved your spiritual state. Give me one example. Give me one example how homosexuality has given us positive progression in society. Give me one. I challenge you. I dare you to email me one. You won't find it because it doesn't exist. It is not good. It is immoral. It is perverse. It is evil. You won't get any good out of that. That's why you do not compromise the word of God. It is exactly as it says, and it is timeless. It is permanent. So get your head out of your rear end and stop making up lies. You either accept the things of God or you don't. It's that simple. And anybody who tries to mix the two together intentionally is the worst kind of evil. And no wonder, because Satan himself appears as an angel of light. Therefore, his agents appear to be righteous too. You see how this all fits together? This is what we're up against. We're up against people who are wolves in sheep's clothing. Wow, I had no idea that was going to happen. Sure you did. Jesus Christ said it. Paul said it earlier. We know. There are false teachers, false prophets everywhere. Just need to be paying attention. Be sober so that you can hear what they're saying and see for yourself if this is true or not. So he concludes chapter 1 with giving Timothy some positive encouragement and tells him to continue to fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience so that he can be not only a strong leader in their presence, but he also mentions that some people have suffered shipwreck of their faith. Their faith has, you would probably say it in today's world, their faith has crashed and burned. They have failed in this regard. They not only just destroyed their faith, but they have abandoned it altogether. Leadership has the obligation to hold its people accountable. And we as brothers are supposed to hold each other accountable. So if you see someone struggling in their faith, you need to help them, support them. That way they can move past that and they can join you again as brothers. Chapter 2 talks about how we are to pray on behalf of all men. Not only for the people around us, but also it says specifically for kings and all who are in authority. Even if you're only halfway paying attention, look at the state of many of the people that are in leadership in our governments today. They are not good people. They are doing things contrary to sound wisdom. They need as much prayer as they can get. And why should we care? Because God is in control. He is still sovereign over everything that goes on, and he can change anything within an instant. And sometimes he waits for people to call upon him to do something. So what are we waiting for? Let's do it. Let's call upon the Lord and seek the healing of our nations. Seek justice to be done in the name of Christ. 
Can we do it? Yes. God is certainly able to do it, but he wants faith from his believers and for us to ask him. So try it. What's the worst guy that can happen? He says no, or he doesn't respond to it. You don't lose anything, so you have nothing to lose. Then he also says, beyond praying, is we're supposed to live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We're supposed to mind our own business. And he also said it like this in Romans chapter 12, as long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We're not trying to start arguments. We're not trying to start legal battles. We're not trying to start quarrels and fights. We're trying to be peaceful people. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, like he says here in verse 3. And what does God want? He wants all people to get saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his ultimate goal. He wants everyone to get saved. He knows not everyone will, but he wants everyone to be saved. He doesn't want to lose anybody. He wants no one to perish. Then he solidifies the purpose of Jesus Christ. There is only one God, and there is also only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This mediator, this is the man who bridges the gap between God and man. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our high priest, our advocate. He is the only means that we have to go into the direct presence of God through prayer. It's fascinating how he does that. And we should be so thrilled and so grateful that he allowed us this opportunity. Then Paul exhorts Timothy to teach the men to be men of prayer. And that's powerful. We really struggle with that today. Men are usually not the ones that are good at praying, and that's a shame. Now we have, at the very end of chapter 2, something that probably would be considered controversial today. How is a woman supposed to go dressed for church? How is she supposed to carry herself? Beauty is, in Paul's words, on the inside. You can be attractive and all that, that's fine. But the whole point is, you're not going to church and you're not going to parade around just trying to look like some glamour model. If you are fo so focused on your appearance, you've picked your God. It's fine you want to look good, I get that. But really, if you are married, who else are you trying to impress except your husband? And if you're not married, you don't want to come across a certain way to certain people. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to come across as loose or, pardon my language, slutty. But you want to come across as someone who is godly. That's ultimately what you want to look like. You want to look like a godly woman. And you can be both. You can look put together and nice and be godly. But there's a line that we cross, and I don't even think I need to go into it, because we know. But the whole point is, is the, we're not trying to just people be attracted to a woman for her appearance. While that is a means to an end for certain things, in God's economy... Everything is spiritual, right? And what's more important for a woman in the eyes of God is that she is beautiful inside, that she is someone who is disciplined, 
someone who is intelligent, someone who is godly, someone who does things with discernment. And then it also says that they are submissive. Now, again, this doesn't mean that they are your slaves or anything like that, but it's saying that it is a posture of allowing the authority of a man to be superior to the authority of a woman. Again, in a marriage relationship, the husband and wife are equal, but the husband has the final say if there is a conflict, because he is the spiritual head of the home. That is the patriarchy that the world hates right now, but that is biblical. And if you don't like it, then take it up with God. Verse 12 also applies today. This, again, this whole section never expired. Okay? It says that I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. We do not allow female pastors. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. Can women lead in a church? Yes. But can she be over a man in authority? No. Can she be a Sunday school teacher? Yeah. Can she serve in the church? Absolutely. But can she be the spiritual leader of the church? No. That goes to the man, to a pastor, to the deacons. There are no female deacons. There are no female pastors. They are strictly for the male gender. People have a problem with that today. But again, the issue is not with me. The issue is with the Word of God. Take it up with God. And if you love your Lord, you will do this. And you'll do it happily. Because God's order is far better than ours. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are far beyond our ways. He knows what he's doing. We just need to trust him in it, even if we don't fully understand why. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.